scripture for tonight is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 15 through 22. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod, the ruler, who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Since it happened, Malcolm had been experimenting with separation. It started as the result of a recent memory. He remembered sitting in the kitchen three days earlier at the small table when he received the phone call. After they'd hung up, he, for whatever reason, did not move. He kept the phone pressed against the side of his head he did not move, but only increased the pressure, flattening his ear against his skull, listening harder to the silence. Only when the blood began to pound in his ear did he realize what he was doing, but still found it impossible to move or to release the pressure. He made a decision to hang up the phone willed himself to hang up the phone, but his thoughts seemed separate from the rest of him. They could not initiate any action. He sat frozen, staring straight ahead at a potted cherry tomato plant sitting in the middle of the table. He planned to put it in his garden, his eyes fixed on a small green fruit at the end of a larger branch. Impulsively, he reached out with his left hand and broke the branch off. This action, odd and inexplicable as it was, freed him, and he hung up the phone, laid the branch with its small fruit on the table, and got up and went to lie down on his bed. For whatever reason, three days later, lying on his bed, the memory surfaced. He got up and went to the kitchen. It was still there, of course, and for the most part unchanged, 
The leaves were wilted, but still green, and the fruit only somewhat darker. What happens, he thought, when things become detached? And though not a scientist, he decided on a series of experiments to separate parts from their whole. What would happen if everything in his life became detached? So he set about separating things as he came across them. He cut the cord off the toaster. He went into the backyard and pulled the leaves and the petals from his flowers, broke branches from his trees, took the grill off his barbecue, and snapped off the aluminum legs. Making several trips, he gathered up all the pieces and brought them into the kitchen. He laid everything out on the floor so he might observe, over time, what would happen to each individual item. His kitchen became a laboratory in which he conducted his experiments. He laid out newly separated items, recorded their conditions in a notebook, and observed and noted their changes every day. He went into every room in his house, preparing items for his experiment. From his closet, he cut the legs off his pants and sleeves from his shirts. He ripped the lining from his suits. He took an ax to his couch, separating the sides and back from the bench. He brought all the pieces into the kitchen. Every day, new items. Computer and stereo, separating individual wires and circuit boards. All the house plants, lawn furniture. He shut off the water and disassembled the plumbing that ran to the shower. He took off the shower head, the faucet, the handle. He removed the pipes under the bathroom sink, took out the drain stopper, took off the faucet and the handles, and then separated the sink from the wall. He then set about prying apart the ceramic tiles off the wall. He spent half a day carrying the separated parts that were the whole of his bathroom into the kitchen, lying them out and recording them in the notebook. His answering machine was full and would no longer take new messages. No one came by since he hadn't returned their phone calls. And in light of what had happened, they didn't want to intrude if he chose to be alone. He went out on his front porch steps daily, only to receive the mail and the newspaper, which he would immediately begin separating into parts. He took the bills from their envelopes, ripped the plastic film from the address window of the envelope, and tore off the stamp. He separated the front page of the newspaper from the back page, the sports section from the TV listings, the arts and culture from the religion section. Then he shredded them all. Everything he came across, he separated and brought to the kitchen, which was now a tangle of building materials, scraps of metal, and rotting fruit. He had separated bananas from their skins and apples from their seeds, foul-smelling chicken thigh meat he had scraped from the bones. On top of this, precariously stacked, were wilted and dried-out tree branches, chair backs, wires, pipes, clothes, the pile was no longer any good for clinical observation, as it was difficult to find an individual item from day to day. But even before that, he'd given up taking notes, realizing that each page in the notebook was bound together. He promptly ripped them out and threw them on the pile. 
He had to pick his way through the mess, balancing precariously on top of the heap and stepping through some places in the pile that were nearly waist deep. He slipped and fell into the stove, which he set about dismantling, taking off the door, unscrewing the hinges, lifting off the burners in the top. It was only natural, and only it was only a natural progression to look next to his own body. He started with his hair. Then with a pair of scissors he had to reassemble, he cut off his eyelashes and made only marginally successful attempts at his eyebrows. He wondered if he were still keeping track what changes in his own body he might record. Was he withering away like the organic materials? Or was he just lifeless and hard like so many inanimate objects on his kitchen heap? He, took, he looked at the scissors in his right hand and next at the fingers on his left. He cut his pinky, ring finger, and with some effort, his thumb off at the first joint. Then, whether from hunger or loss of blood, he lost consciousness. The investigators could not conclude specifically what had caused the fire. There were so many possibilities. The bare wires from the toaster, blender, and coffee maker dangling from the sockets, the exposed pilot light from the dismantled stove. All of this was surrounded by a three feet thick pile of potential fuels, dried branches, junk mail, newspapers, and furniture. The entire house was lost. The neighbor, who had found him barely conscious on the front steps, called an ambulance, but could not think of anyone to call to tell what hospital he'd been taken to.